0: I hope you are getting some understanding of what the end time is going to look like. There's so much yet that we haven't covered. But so far we've talked about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end. And uh, I believe him. I believe he's going to be with us all the way to the end and beyond. We talked about a promise. The promise is the word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, my words shall not pass away. So we've talked about a person, we've talked about a promise, Tonight, we're going to talk about a principle. It's very foundational to any Christian's walk, but it's going to be even more important as the time comes by. Uh, I'd like to read you something that all of you are familiar with, written by a guy by the name of John Olsteen. Before there was a Joel Osteen, there was a John Osteen, very wonderful man of God. Uh, He's from the old school, did a lot of visitation, went to the hospital so many times, he married one of the nurses there at the hospital. She became his wife. John started every service this way. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am i have what it says i have i can do what it says i can do today let's change that just a little bit tonight i will be taught the word of god i boldly confess that my mind is alert my heart is receptive i will never be the same i'm about to receive the incorruptible and destructible ever-living seed of the word of god I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, say amen. Amen. Knowing this first, that at there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. From the beginning of creation. Somewhere along the way I heard a saying that says ignorance is bliss. I'm not sure I understand uh, that statement. If they're talking about uh, being void of understanding of what God has for us, then I totally disagree with that statement. God goes to great lengths. To let us know that he doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning his, uh, his word and his promises. The Apostle Paul said to the Romans, I would not have you be ignorant. And three times to the church at Corinth he said, I would not that you should be ignorant. And to the church at Thessalonica he said, I would not have you to be ignorant. The same approach is used throughout the New Testament that God expresses over and over. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews declares that we are to have compassion on the ignorant. Those people that don't know, that don't understand, they need our compassion. God goes to great lengths throughout the scripture to dispel man's ignorance concerning end-time events. Jesus spends much of his time in the Gospels, telling us about the signs of the time. Even points out a real situation. Remember what he said? As it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. But he used this phrase, the people then knew not until the flood came and took them all away. They, it's not that uh, they didn't hear some preaching, because the guy that built that boat was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. So, I've got a few more years left, hallelujah. But, but he, he established the fact that, that something was gonna happen, but they, they knew not. And it's the same way today. Uh, People will laugh and mock and 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 scorn you if you talk about Jesus. Is they're trying to save the world because they think there's going to be an explosion caused by heat. They could be close to being right. It will be destroyed by fervent uh, heat. But the thing I want you to understand, even in our lesson tonight, Peter closed it out. Says, "Be not ignorant." He wants us to know these things. I've entitled the the first section of this tonight, Three and a Half Pounds of Gray Matter. That's about the only way I know to look at it. They tell us that's what our mind weighs, that there's about three and a half pounds of gray matter stuffed somewhere up in our uh, head area. And, And Peter says this, The second epistle, beloved, I now write to you in both which I stir up your pure minds. Think about that now. By way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, the Old Testament proclaimers of truth, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. The mind, let me see if this helps us. The element or complex of elements, in an individual that feels, perceives, thinks, wills, and reasons. So that's what he's addressing. He says, but I want to do something to arouse that part of your being. And our minds are so busy. They're going in so many different directions uh, until sometime we forget about what's the main thing, you know. We, we, we forget about that we're on a journey, we're going somewhere, and we don't know how soon we're going to take off on that journey and, and, uh, and leave this world. So our minds are so entangled by everything. And the first thing Peter is saying, I am writing to your understanding, to arouse your mind, to stir up your pure minds, that you might be mindful Do not be ignorant, Peter said in this one thing. The emphasis is upon the mind, the need for a pure and clear mind. A scripture ran across my mind just a few moments ago. A double minded man is unstable in. You've read the same book. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. He's unstable in all of his ways. So what Peter's trying to do is to get everybody to get their mind on the right thing, that that God's got a work going on here, and we're getting closer and closer to the end of this experiment, and we're going to see what else he has planned for us. I grew up in South Carolina, and many times we would visit uh, different churches, and uh, they would have testimony services. We don't do that much anymore. But back in the day, they had testimony services. And, 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 and one of the testimonies used to go like this. I thank God for waking me up this morning, clothed and in my right mind. That's a blessing, folks. That's a real blessing, to have your right mind. That's the mind that Peter it is focusing on a watchful, alert, focused, concentrated mind, an actively engaged mind. The mind cannot be lazy or wandering about. I was taught all of my life that an idle mind is... Y'all were raised by the same parents. How about that? An idle mind is the devil's workshop. Let, you, you let it start drifting. It'll take you to places you don't need to go. It'll keep you longer and you want to stay. And it'll cost you more and you want to pay. Our minds must be alert. I'm going to make an observation. There was an advertisement that used to be on TV. A mind is a terrible thing to, to waste. Wow. Let me, let me catch this one. One of the greatest responsibilities upon all Christian ministers is to challenge the thinking of all men with the facts of the Word of God. The knowledge of his second coming is not for fascination, but for preparation. Okay? Understand that. A knowledge of it is not to, oh, I got this one down, I got that one down, and... We're going to deal with some of that as God gives us some time. But what you need to understand, is not to fascinate you or to cause you to think, wow, I'm really growing now and I got all that. No, no, it's to help you prepare for the return of the Lord. If I would change the thoughts uh, that I'm working on, I would call it preparation for evacuation. Because that's where we're headed. We're fixing to leave this world. Oh, Lord, if you're not happy yet, I hope you will get happy, okay? Uh, another verse of Scripture from the wise man put it this way, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's a reason Peter is trying to get the attention of our mind. The challenge is to remember the words of the prophets. The Old Testament guys, those who, who covered a lot of the volume of the book, we are New Testament believers, but we're also Old Testament believers. Everything that's in the Old Testament that we need was brought into the New Testament by Christ and his group of men that we call the disciples that turned out to go with the heading of the apostles. And what you need to understand concerning the second coming in the Old Testament, the prophecies that are recorded there for every one prophecy in the Old Testament of His first coming, there are eight prophecies for toward His second coming. So they, they didn't leave it out. They wrote it down for us to understand and to remember the preaching of the apostles or the new testament proclaimers of truth it was the same guys that took jesus when he went up on the mountain they asked the lord when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming their preaching and their teaching on his second coming was predicated on what jesus had said to them or what the Holy Spirit had revealed to them. Everything the New Testament ministers had to say about the return of Jesus was either taught to them personally by Christ himself, or a a session with the great teacher, the Holy Spirit of God. He can teach you more in 30 seconds than I can in a lifetime. They had that, they had that, first-hand knowledge. And if you'll notice the writing, there are 27 books in the New Testament. 23 of those give the second coming of Christ prominence. 23 of the 27. Out of, out of all the verses, one out of every 30 verse in the New Testament talks about the, the return of Jesus. There are 318 references in the New Testament alone concerning his second coming. Now look at what Peter said. The first thing to know, know this first. When are the scoffers coming? In the last days. In the last days, according to Scripture, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. First, notice that they're going to come at the last. These people, scoffers, who show contempt by mocking, sneering, or scorning the end time return of Jesus, they're going to come at the last time. These wicked men who follow the path of folly are committed to disturbing the peace, disrupting the focus, and discounting the word or the doctrine of the believers. Everybody in this room right now is great, gravely concerned about Israel. If you're not, you should be. And you should be praying for them daily. I, I find myself more in prayer. But what you also need to know, they're not just after Israel. Did you know that born-again Bible-believing Christians are the closest thing to a Jew they're going to be able to find? Amen. So they're not not just after the Jews. They're after me and you, and we'll see that here in just a moment. And and, and and when... (laughs) But I got news for him. I've stood on that mountainside and I've seen that valley where it says that the blood is going to rise to the horse's bridle. And I'm going to tell you, when man's rockets fail, God Almighty is going to intervene. Hallelujah. And Israel will be protected and preserved. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. I better get off of that. I think Pastor's going to talk about that on Sunday. Or something similar. He's going to be talking about Israel. It's my understanding. They, and these, these people that scoff and mock and, and ridicule us talking about the return of Jesus, they walk after their own passion. They walk after their own lust. They live like they want to live and do their own thing. One of their slogans that we're familiar with, if it feels good, do it. I mean, that's been around uh, for, for, for decades now. They want the right to seek and to keep. They want the right to enjoy all of the pleasures of life, regardless of the doctrines or the instructions of God himself. Therefore, because of their lifestyle, they are forced to reject the second coming of Jesus. Now, if, if they recognize and say he's coming, then they've got to change their lifestyle. They, they, they know they can't live that way and get right to meet him. They'll have to repent and turn. Catch this. One of the most important statements that I'm going to make this evening. Misplaced passions can be a very blinding force. Misplaced passions can be a very blinding force. Paul put it this way. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. When Satan blinds the mind, it's simply because the heart has been hardened by continual sinful practices. It hardens the heart, and then the God of this world blinds the mind. These scoffers ridicule the return of Jesus. Here's their argument. I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. They say, where is the promise of his coming? It's been thousands of years since he came the first time. What has happened to his promise? You Christians have always said he's coming soon. Yes, we have. Even today you say he's coming. Or you say his coming is just around the corner. That's their first argument. Then... It's that teaching is false. If the teachings were true, he would have already have been here. And so they catch us in their first point in their argument. Their second argument is based upon the stability of the universe. For since the fathers, our ancestors, fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation other words, they will say to us, the laws of nature have kept the world up and running. Why should people get all excited about the world ending? The laws of nature run the universe, not an imaginary Father God. What a surprise is in store for all of these who scoff and mock at this wonderful teaching. Based on these two arguments, they conclude like the rich man that Jesus talked about. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And at such a time as you think not, what does the book say? The Son of Man cometh. In an hour, when you're not thinking about it, This whole world is looking for the easy route, but I'm here to tell you it's not going to be easy even for the believers between now and the return of the Lord. But there is a principle that we're fixing to talk about that's going to sustain you regardless of what happens around you or in your life. There is a principle that's going to sustain you. And when you see him split the eastern sky, you're going to say, even so, come Lord Jesus. We've been waiting on you, and now we are ready. If you want to see him when he returns, give him praise in this room tonight. Hallelujah. Now, let's talk about this end-time survival kit. And how we can confront our enemies who declares or scoffs at the promise of his return. First that we thing we need to understand is the device of Satan. Don't be ignorant of his scheme or his approach. To put it in layman's term, Satan has a plot. God has a plan. Satan has a plot. But God has a plan. If he's coming, uh, if he's not coming, then he wasn't resurrected. If he wasn't resurrected, then he wasn't crucified. If he wasn't crucified, then he wasn't the spotless lamb. If he wasn't the spotless lamb, then he wasn't born of the Virgin Mary. If he wasn't born of the Virgin Mary, then he's not Emmanuel, If he's not Emmanuel, there is no God. That's where they want to go with it. That would make our faith, our preaching, and our living to all be in vain, and we are left without hope. How are we going to fight that? What's going to be our position? You fight the attack of Satan with faith. Fight unbelief with faith not with blind, unfounded faith, but with a faith that is anchored in a person that we call the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I grew up singing a song like this, He's God in the Father. Y'all didn't go to the church I went to, did you? He's God in the Son. Anybody? He's God in the Holy Ghost. He's God all three in one. If they got real happy, they'd say, He's God on the platform. <laughs> he's God back at the door. He's God over up in heaven, and He's God all over the floor. You, say, you heard that one too. I got you. All right. That's, that's where we've got to anchor our faith. The book says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must, what? Believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How does a person get saved? What did Paul say? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart That God raised him from the dead, and, and you shall be saved. All of that's by faith. I believe tonight that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I believe tonight that I have reservations at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I believe tonight that I am in God's plan to come back to this earth for a thousand years called the millennial reign. I believe that tonight. I believe every bit of it tonight. Amen. You've got to believe what the Scripture teaches us. Faith that is anchored in the promise that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. What did Jesus say to us? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. This is where I love the King James. It says there are many mansions. Don't say that there's a motel with a lot of rooms. (laughs) It says there are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. Okay. Uh, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will... What did he say? I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. I believe that tonight, people. I got to tell you, Sometimes I cut the TV off and don't watch the news and uh, because it's, it's so disturbing and to the point it could be depressing. But I had a moment this week <laughs> where, where I got completely excited about the news. No, not that people are being uh, hurt. No, God forbid, that's not my heart at all. But it just lets me know that we're closer to his return than we've ever been before. And it was just something that got exciting. And I had a little church all by myself. It wasn't nobody but me and the good Lord there. But it was, it was so refreshing. See, I believe he's coming back just like he said. I believe the trumpet's going to sound so loud that it's going to wake up the dead. And, and, and you say, well, what's the best place to be in? It doesn't matter. It, do, it, it doesn't. What, what state? And I'm talking about physically now, not Tennessee or Georgia. Uh, no, you don't want to go to Georgia. Stay in Tennessee, okay? <laughs> I thought of a, a song there that I won't even mention the name of it that a fiddle player played one time. and You can feel. <laughs> You can fill in the blanks. No. No, we want to go with him. If you're in the grave, get ready. That, that, that's, that's just a place of rest. When the Bible speaks of the grave for the believers, it don't, it don't use the word death. It uses the word rest. So that, that's Okay. You've heard me say through the years, and I hadn't planned to say it tonight, but it feels comfortable to say it. California, they're burying them three and four deep because they're running out of space to bury the people. And I thought about that when I read that article. The third one down's a believer, and the other two are not. And on that resurrection morning. When Michael or Gabriel or whoever chosen, selected by the Lord, steps out and sounds the trumpet, if that third one down is a believer, he's just going to have to say, pardon me, pardon me, and get up out of that ground and go meet the Lord in the air. Folks, it's going to happen just like it. Check this new book out by the the good doctor from out in california what's his name somebody help me david jeremiah Jeremiah. check that commercial on television where people are just leaving from all walks of life and, and 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 they can't explain it. CNN's going to come out and try to work through that and Fox News and all the rest of them. It. it. It doesn't matter. There's going to be millions of people that's going to leave the face of this earth and go meet the Lord in the sky. And the book says, so shall we ever be with him. I'm telling you, we're getting ready for that. I'm about to I'm about to make a new address notification around here tonight. We're that close to it. We're that close to the return of Jesus, and we want to be ready. Now, I want to show you how this faith principle works. You got your Bibles? Turn to the book of Hebrew. And as soon as I find it, here we go. And I'm going to get these things that uh, helps you see. Look at verse, uh, verse verse one. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Wow. I, I, put, a, I put a definition together today. Faith is a strong belief in God or in the doctrine of the Word based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. You've apprehended something from the Word of God. Watch this now. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel survived by faith Enoch survived by faith Noah survived by faith Abraham not only survived but look at this let's just read a verse or two about Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance obeyed and he went out not knowing where he was going By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Verse 11. Through faith, also Sarah, his wife, of drawing her social security, (laughs) rearranging the house for a baby. That's a miracle. She survived childbirth at her age by faith. She was a survivor. It goes right on. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up. Even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith Joseph survived. By faith Moses. Can we stop just a moment? Look at Moses, verse twenty-three. When he was born, was hid three months in his parent, uh, three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Thank God for his parents. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook, through faith he kept, Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. By faith the walls of Jericho fell. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not. She survived. Wow, it goes on and talks about so many things. But folks, I'm telling you, the principle that we've got to relearn is the principle of faith in God Almighty. And realize that regardless of where our needs are, or what be our challenges, that God is there. If God did all this and more, then tonight I assume the posture of faith, positioning myself in the principle of faith. For I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day can you move into that position i tell tell you what let's do let's just just move over just a little bit just 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 move around a little bit get just position yourself in faith knowing that knowing that he is able to take care of everything that has ever bothered you or will come your way between now and the return of jesus I can remember the days when there wasn't enough gas to make it to my assignment to preach that night. Never done this since. Had never done it before. I drove up in a 1960 red Corvair. Not vet, but bear. It was pouring down rain. You were holding her in your lap. I asked the gentleman if he would keep my spare tire, give me $2 worth of gas, to go to a little country church and preach. And I would come back after the church service, hoping I'd get an offering that night and pay him for the gas. He said, Young man, what are you going to do if you have a flat tire and it raining like this with a wife and a baby? I said, I'm going to trust God. He said, well, why don't we just trust him now? Keep your tire. And we made it to the church. Received an offering. Come back and it was closed put it in an envelope, slid it under the door of his building. By faith, when nothing was in the cupboard, there wasn't no need to get up because there was nothing to eat. And it was 8.30 of a morning and a knock came on the front door. Hastily ran to the front door and Here stood a saint with her arms filled with bags of groceries. She said, Brother Smith, God woke me up early this morning and said, you guys didn't have any food. And I've been out in the community collecting food. Could have called Mama, Daddy. Could have called Joyce's parents. But he's the one who called us to bring the message. Now we just go to the bank and make a loan. We have better relationships with the bankers sometimes than we do with the Heavenly Father. But the hour's coming when faith is going to be what you survive on. Because God can... God can feed you with birds, with ravens. Just drop it into wherever you are. Only God can do that. And when he's ready for you to move on, he'll dry up the branch that's been giving you the water and cause you to move to the next assignment. That's, That's who he is. And that's where our faith has got to be. Jesus asked a question. This is written in red. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? Wow. Jesus asked that question. When I return, will I find faith? See, for here's the reason your faith in God will determine your walk in life. Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. A, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, A little faith will bring your soul to heaven. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. The greatest need in the world right there. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Jesus said to the church at Thyatira, I know your faith. Which brings us to the prayer, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I want us to pray this prayer together. They're pulling it up on the screen. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Are we ready? Do we have it? Pray this with me all together. Lord, Lord. Your word says nothing is impossible to those who believe. So I am releasing my faith in your promises through your son. I fully believe that what you did for those faithful believers in Hebrews 11, you can do for me.